I had originally titled this, The Demands of Following Christ. But after the message we just heard, I decided to (laughs) change that to the Lordship of Christ. Lest some think that I'm going to be a legalist (laughs) in what I'm going to present here this morning. Um, I was reminded uh, this week um, that the Lordship controversy is still alive and well. Uh, On Facebook earlier in the week, a pastor who I will not name to protect the guilty um, put on Facebook, and uh, he is in in driving distance of here, and actually I knew him when I was in college, Uh, put on Facebook that according to 1 Corinthians 3, he would like for somebody to explain how you could hold to lordship salvation along with the rest of the book. Well, I'm going to attempt to do that leading up to what else uh, I'd like to share with you this morning because I do not think it's possible to separate the lordship of Christ from Him being Savior. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians 3... It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. And, of course, what he was proposing, that it's possible to just know Jesus as Savior, and later on in life, or perhaps never in life, uh, make him is a usual term that's used, Lord of your life. And that what Paul writes here uh, indicates that. Now it is true that uh, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you will see Paul address these people in Corinth in verse 2 as uh, saints. He, he addresses them as that. He goes on and he says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. He says in uh, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. But I think the language that he uses in chapter 3 is that he could not address them as spiritual people. Not that he was saying that all of them were, because, of course, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a distinction between what it means to be spiritual and what it means to be lost. He refers to the saved person as the spiritual person. So every saved person is spiritual. That's a broad label that you could put for every saved person. The lost person he refers to is the natural man who doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And what Paul is saying here in chapter 3 is that he could not address them like spiritual people. He does refer to them as infants in Christ. But I think what MacArthur said was, uh, was very helpful in this. He said, what Paul is referring to here 
is not a sense of being something, but a sense of behavior. In other words, it is not possible for a saved person to be a carnal person for the rest of their lives. Can saved people behave carnally? Can saved people behave fleshly? Absolutely they can. We know that that's true. And aren't we thankful for the ongoing grace of God that every time we sin, we don't become lost again? What a horrible way to live. Uh, First Assembly Church in Palaka, one of the pastors that used to be there when he gave the invitation, he would have everybody in the congregation repeat the sinner's prayer just in case there was somebody there who had gotten saved, but now they were lost and they needed to be saved again. Can you imagine living like that? What a horrible way to live. So yes, it is true. Saved people can be fleshly at times. And sometimes they can be fleshly for a season of time. But Hebrews tells us that if they're really saved, God will chastise God will discipline in order to bring them back. And even here in the Corinthians, you see examples of how Paul was putting forward to these people the importance of them examining their lives and of also dealing with sin. He says in chapter 4 and verse 2, "...it's required of stewards that they be found faithful." He was drawing them to the issue that if you're saved, it's required that you be found faithful. That is a demand. And if the Bible says thou shalt and thou shalt not, that's not legalism. Right. Okay. Uh, We need to make sure that we understand that. It's when we start, like the Pharisees did, layering things on top of the Word of God, it becomes legalism. All of chapter 5 deals with a man in the church who was sinning in such a way that not even the Gentiles would consider to be right. And so he calls the church to discipline this person so that this person might realize whether or not they are even saved. If they're saved, to come in repentance. If they're not, to come in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, Again, he says to them, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, Such were some of you. He says, This is what you used to be. But if you're this now, you're not saved. Right. You're not saved and just being carnal. And you're going to go to heaven living this way. Absolutely not. You were this way, but now you've been saved. People who live like that are not saved. And they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, again, being very straightforward with these people. He tells them in chapter 10 and verse 5, he says, Don't be idolaters. He said, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. Again, drawing them back to the Old Testament and the nation of Israel. In chapter 15, here in 1 Corinthians, 
He says to them in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Saved people don't renounce Christ. And yet some people would take it so far as to say that if a person ever came forward in church, ever made a profession of faith, it doesn't matter what they ever do in the rest of their lives, they're good for heaven. That is simply not true. And not only does he pursue this line of thinking in, the, in, their, in his first letter to them, but he continues on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that very familiar verse, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You cannot be saved and be what is commonly referred to as a carnal Christian. A person who is completely consumed and living in the flesh. It's just simply not true. In chapter 13 and verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, in his last words to him, he says to them, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail to meet the test. The test. And of course, one of the tests is that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, we can and we do still sin. But there is a sensitivity to sin that was not there before. There is a longing to be obedient to Christ. And there is a chastening that will come to bring us to repentance. And there is that ongoing confession. Again, 1 John 1.9 is written to believers, not lost people. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then John makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 3 that it is not possible for a person to be saved and continually practice sin. It's very plain language. He says in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Again, Christian, saved person, can commit any sin at any time. But what a saved person cannot do is continually practice sin. That's what we just saw that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And John reiterates it here. He says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him that is in Christ there is no sin. No one who abides in Him. And abiding in Christ means to be born again. Resting in Him, trusting in Him. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. And again, as an habitual practice. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. In other words, the overall pattern of their life is righteousness. Not that there are not blots that are there. There are blots in all of our lives. But the overall pattern of a saved person is righteousness. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. That is, as Christ is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Just imagine saying that to one of your loved ones over lunch today. When they made a profession of faith years ago, and yet from that time to this time, there is absolutely no evidence of a change in their life. We have absolute, we have absolute, we are we are doing absolute damage to them yeah. to let them think that they really know the Lord. How much plainer can Scripture be? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And when we're talking about sin here, we're not talking about the man-made stuff. Harry just told me he was offended because I had on a gray shirt and not a white shirt. <laughs> I told, I told him the first summer I traveled for the college that I went to, they told us that on Sunday morning we had to wear a white shirt. Not wearing a white shirt on Sunday morning is not sin. Right. But homosexuality and adultery and lying and cheating and stealing and, and all of that, that's sin because God says it's sin. Okay. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot, cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because God will discipline And there is that ultimate discipline of just taking us home early to prevent us from continuing to shame His name. It's awfully difficult to just dogmatically say, I know you're lost or I know you're saved. But we can point people to the Scripture and show them what Scripture says. And in light of what Scripture says, why would you think you're saved why would you not see that there is the grandest possibility that you are lost? When the pattern of your life is that you keep on sinning, when God's Word says that if God's seed abides in you, you cannot keep on sinning because you have been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You simply cannot separate the Lordship of Christ and Him being Savior. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. There are Christians who may be living fleshly for a time. 
but there is no such thing as a Christian who lives in the flesh on a continual, habitual basis. You say, well, what's continual and habitual? Well, that can sometimes be the rub. But again, when it goes on for a period of time, we need to lovingly say to those people, this is what God's Word says. Examine yourself. That's what Paul said, right? Examine yourself in the light of Scripture to see whether or not you are really in the Lord. Now in Luke chapter 9, the Lord gives us some examples of what it will take to follow Him. Sadly enough, there are too many preachers who make salvation sound like it's just an escape route from hell. I've actually been in services when I was growing up as a child. Again, couldn't quite throw a rock there, but you could come pretty close where preachers and evangelists would stand up and say, Anybody want to go to hell tonight? And I never saw anybody raise their hand on that. But we need to understand that the Bible speaks of the fact that if we confess Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Do any of us understand all the ramifications of that? Absolutely not. There's not one of us in here, including myself, who at the point of salvation had any idea just exactly what that might cost. We might think we did at that point, but we really didn't know. So when we present salvation, yes, we do need to present the fact that men need to be saved because they're lost and that there is a judgment coming. But it's not an easy believism that you just pray a prayer, get baptized, and then go on and live your life knowing that now you can go to heaven when you die no matter what. And here in Luke chapter 9, listen to what the Lord said. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God.
The first man was very self-confident. He said, I'll follow you wherever you go. His confidence was in himself. It was not in the Lord. I think the indication here is that he didn't really follow him. You remember the parable of the seed and the various souls where there in Mark chapter 4 you had the first one where the seed fell on the very hard ground and before anything could take place Satan came and blinded the hearts and there was no response whatsoever. But then you had the others that were there. And it says that after the rocky ground where they hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. These are people who make a profession of faith, but then trouble comes, whatever that trouble may be. I knew a man some years ago who made a profession of faith and then his young daughter died. And as a result of his daughter's death, he got mad at God and angry with God and walked away. Did you know we're all going to die? Unless the Lord returns. And we don't get to pick the time. And we don't get to pick the how. Death is coming. And sometimes it comes to the very young as babies die and children die. But eventually it will come. Why should that make you forsake the Lord when He's told you that death is coming? Persecution arises. And when these people walk away, they indicate they never knew the Lord. Others are one of those who it was others where the seed was sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are people who make a profession of faith. They go along pretty well for a while. But then all of a sudden they have to make a choice. They have to make a choice between being faithful to the Lord or going after their own desires and pleasures. Or going after money. Again, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So you can be very poor and love money and then find yourself doing all kinds of things that are wrong in order to get more money. And when your life becomes that, and your life becomes consumed with those things, so that you are no longer faithful to what the Lord tells us that we should or should not do, it most certainly can be indicative of the fact that you don't know the Lord. And then there's finally the good soul, where they hear the word and accept it, 
that word except, again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just try to read people that are. It's what they call the intensive form. It means to make something a part of your life. These are the people who really know the Lord, and they demonstrate it because they bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. We don't need to be confident in ourselves that we will follow the Lord. We need to be confident in Him, that He will give us the strength that whatever the cost may be, we will follow Him. The other said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. The comforts of life, the things that make life enjoyable, all the conveniences of life, Not all of us will give those things up, but some of us may. He mentioned John MacArthur being called the devil because he didn't go to the missionary prayer group. I will be honest with you, the one thing that I feared more than anything else was that God would call me to be a missionary to some wayward desert place. (laughs) I don't think he did. (laughs) But I struggled with the idea of giving up all the conveniences that we have here. But again, these things, the love of money, as the Lord talked about in Matthew chapter 6, food and clothing and housing can become real hindrances to us being obedient to what the Lord would have us to do. How much do we need? How much do we have to have? That's a question that I think strikes pretty hard to the heart of me. People joke about the fact that I usually wear wear black pants. I wear black pants because I think they make me look less fat than I am. And the other reason I wear black pants is because I'm tending more and more to drop stuff on me. And it doesn't show up as much on black. So I have a whole row of about five or six pair of black pants. I have one pair of gray because unfortunately I can still wear this suit coat, but the pants to this suit are a little bit too uncomfortable. (laughs) And I have a pair of khakis, but I'm scared to death to wear them for the reason that I stated previously, (laughs) that they show everything if you drop something on it, and I wouldn't dare wear white. But this world is not our home, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. And when consuming 
the things of this world becomes the primary force in our life. We either need to repent as a believer or if it becomes the driving force of our life to the point to where we again are being completely rebellious to the things that God himself has told us we should and should not do. Cheating in order to get more money and so forth. We need to question ourselves. Do I know the Lord? Because these things have taken over my life. And then the next one sounds really hard. Jesus said to the other man, the other man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, that sounds rather rational, doesn't it? Your father's died. Go bury him before you go to do what the Lord would call you to do. But Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The indication here is that his dad wasn't dead. He wanted to wait to do what the Lord wanted him to do until his dad died and make sure that he was there to get the inheritance that he wanted to have. In other words, he called Jesus Lord, but his own self-interest was the thing that he really cared about. Now, we could name a lot of things, and I'm not going to do that, but we can think in our own minds. If the Lord called you to do something different today than what you're doing, would you be willing to stop what you're doing and be obedient to that call? Or would there be some circumstance of your life or mine where you would say, I'll do it, Lord, but just give me a little time. Just give me a little time. He says, let the dead bury their dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead because the one thing that you can do as the spiritual person that they cannot do is proclaim the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I kind of like the King James better there. Walk worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. Do you know what every one of us has as our primary vocation? It's not what we do to earn money. It is to proclaim the kingdom of God. So that no matter what we do to make money, we are doing what only the redeemed can do. Lost people can make money doing all kinds of things. And again, there's nothing wrong with making money. But they cannot proclaim the kingdom of God. 
And this may be meddling, but let me say this. There are many things in this world where there are needs, physical needs. But I submit to you that as believers, as redeemed people of God, we ought to put our money investing in eternal things. Because lost people are not going to do that. Lost people are not going to support ministries that stand for the gospel and the truth of the Word of God. Only redeemed people are going to do that. So let the lost people support... Oh boy, I'm probably getting in trouble here. Let the lost people support St. Jude's Hospital. Let the lost people support all the other physical needs... Let us invest in eternal things. Not only with our money, but also with our time. I don't care how hard you work to get somebody elected to office, getting somebody elected to office isn't going to ensure that anybody gets saved. But the proclamation of the truth of the Word of God is what God uses to get people to come to Himself. I'll stop. And if we think that that's uncomfortable, the last one gets really uncomfortable. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Family, I was privileged to be a pastor for in the same church for 33 years. And as much of a blessing as that was, there was also some heartache too. When you watch people who name the name of Christ and who I, over the pattern of their lives, would not doubt that they, knew, that they know the Lord. But you watch them speak out against various sins involved in people's lives and how we need to lovingly confront these people and so forth and so on until... It's family. Until it's family. But when it's family, it took on a whole new aura. Well, if I tell them that I won't participate in this because what they're doing is disobedient to the Lord and they claim to be saved, you know, if they're they're lost, it makes it a lot easier because lost people just do what lost people do. Okay? But when they to be saved and they are being directly disobedient in what they're doing to what God's word says that puts a whole different color on it and they were fine with it as long as it was somebody else's family member 
But when it became their family member, then it was, oh, I can't do that, preacher. And whenever we as believers say, I can't, what we're really saying is, I won't. Because all of a sudden, family takes precedence over the Lord. Family takes precedence over the Lord. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, great crowds following the Lord. And he turned and listened to what he said to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You say, well... I thought it said in Ephesians 5 that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. That's right. That's right. How does Christ love the church? Does Christ love you so much? Does Christ love his church so much that he would not confront disobedience and sin and I'm not talking about being hateful you don't want to be hateful because as we've just read the truth's hard enough I'm just talking about who will you honor Matthew chapter 10 Jesus said Verse 34, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's the Lord. Yes, when we come to faith in Christ, we have no idea what it may cost. But He is Lord. We're not. Our family's not. Possessions are not. He is Lord. Because in 1 Peter 1.19 it says that He purchased us with His precious blood. He did that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And that price was his precious blood. He died. He paid the debt. 
for your sin and mine as a believer in Christ. He did for us what no one else could ever do. And He secured for us eternity with Him rather than eternity in hell. And so when He says, these are my demands, He has every right to do that. And these are the things, along with, as he mentions, loving your brother. These are the things that mark us out from just the ordinary, natural man's reaction to things that happen. Our president said that he loves his son no matter what. Well, I love my son no matter what either. But I have a son that has very little to do with me because he has been living in sin for many years now. I wish I could have a good relationship with him, but I can't. He's lived with one woman after the other. He's living alone now. But he has this, he claims to be a Christian, but he has dishonored the Lord for many years. And so I cannot just simply say, it's okay, don't worry about it, because it's not okay. And I am far more concerned about where he's headed for eternity than I am about whether or not he has very much to do with me right now. If he ends up in hell, I don't want it to be because I made him feel comfortable in what is not a true profession, a true possession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So when I say to you this morning, you don't know what it may cost you, I'm not speaking off the top of my head like I don't know what I'm talking about or like I haven't been willing to pay a price. I've paid a price. But it doesn't come close to the price that Jesus paid for me. And my allegiance to Him to the Lord Jesus demands that I not give my allegiance to anyone else. Because He is Lord. And you can't take Him as Savior and not have Him as Lord. But God gives us the strength, doesn't He? He will give us the strength. It's there for us. Just appropriate it. Let's pray. Father, as was mentioned this morning in the first message, 
We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to remind ourselves every day that even though our salvation was a gift of grace, that that gift had a high price. That price was you as the Lord Jesus suffering and dying, taking on our sin so that we would not have to pay the price of that sin. So may we love you and honor you, be obedient to you, whatever it may cost, and trust you to take care of whatever it is. We know that being disobedient is not going to lead to a good outcome. We just need to obey and leave all the outcome to you and rest in your strength and your grace. And we thank you that you have given us everything that we need for this life and the life to come. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.